At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. A big day for the Pittsburgh City Cast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com. A big day in the sense that draft Twitter is on fire. Since moments before we got on and logged on to do the CityCast today, Mike Pursuta and me, Tim Benz, Mike, who you can hear in the DV morning show, as well as the Steelers pregame show, we just found out Kenny Pickett's official hand size, and it is, Mike, only eight and a half inches, utterly undraftable now. Well, middle round, certainly. Uh, we can uh, end the debate <laughs> as to who QB1 is, although, you know, it's been, uh, in my eyes, it's been Malik Willis ever since I watched the Senior Bowl. But uh, I'm so proud of you. You know, we've worked together a lot. We've worked side by side a lot over the years. And you leading with Combine News today, uh, hats off, because uh, I'm looking at my phone. I'm looking at the headlines on ESPN.com, and you see things such as source, MLB union to resume informal talks. Uh, you see uh, Bayheim successor, plan in place at Syracuse. Don't believe him. You see NCAA men's tourney bubble watch all of that, Tim, any and all of that pales in comparison to the NFL scouting combine. It's like Christmas four days in a row. So we don't even do the curve for the alleged double joint on his thumb or what? Middle rounds at best, Tim. We know who QB one is. His name is Malik Willis. Oh, Pitt Twitter is just beside itself <laughs> angry right now. And it's it's beautiful to watch. Their guy, their saint, their next Marino, their next Donald, their next Revis. And there's going to be three quarterbacks, maybe four quarterbacks drafted in front of him because of an eighth of an inch due to his double-jointed thumb. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Now, you know, in all seriousness, I was just kind of trolling a little bit there with the middle round stuff. But there are people who think that that is overblown and overanalyzed and the hand size really doesn't matter. Joe Burrow checks in at nine. Uh, Patrick Mahomes does not have huge hands. I mean, he's north of nine, but, but just by a little bit. But I know some scouts uh, and some ex-scouts who swear by that, and the reason they do is they think it's a ball security thing. They think it is a ability to pump the ball thing, which the great quarterbacks, if you can do that, a.k.a. Ben Roethlisberger, you can, you can really take advantage of a defense that way. And they think it's a bad weather thing. And if you look at uh, Pickett's most recent season, you know, he explodes onto the seat onto the scene last year and his numbers just skyrocket. But 
Uh, the bad weather game against North Carolina, he was a little less than uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate, right? I know he was better game. than Howell. He was better he, than Howell, though. Howell struggled as well. And then you fast forward to the Senior Bowl, and they had that brutal practice. I think it was the Wednesday practice, rain and wind. And Pickett's ball wasn't cutting through it the way Malik Willis' ball was cutting through it. And I think that's when a lot of people started to reevaluate. Pickett was probably on top of the heap going into the senior bowl. And I think in a lot of people's eyes, at least, Willis came out of the senior bowl on top of the heap. Now, it's still going to come down to uh, interactions with the teams and the personal interviews that they do and uh, the health stuff and uh, a bunch of other factors. But I don't think it's insignificant, Tim, the Kenny Pickett came in at 8.5. I don't think it's insignificant either when you're at the bottom of the list when it comes to quarterbacks and the hand size to that degree. But at the same time, I would think that there would be more of a dramatic sliding scale of how much it impacts their ability to throw. If nine is the magic number, Joe Burrow is right at nine, and he just went yeah. to the Super Bowl in the second year. Right, but there is, you know, there's a cutoff point somewhere. It's like goalies in hockey. If you're five eleven, uh, you're gonna have a hard time getting drafted or signing a contract. If you're six foot, you got a chance. Uh, certain numbers become, for whatever reason, uh, gospel thresholds to, to, to a lot of people in these leagues. And uh, you know, it only takes one to disagree. So, uh, you know, certainly it's still a possibility. Kenny Pickett goes in the first round. Hell, for all I know, he might get picked second overall by the lighdowns. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but, uh, it, it does, uh, come into play. It is a factor. And I think it, uh, limits his availability a little bit. Well, one, I would think option that still is on the table, not changing all that much because of the bad weather thing anyway, Mike would be the two NFC South teams, the draft before the Steelers in the saints and the Panthers, you know, in that situation, you've got one dome. And you've got a Florida team, two domes, a Florida team, and then Carolina. You know, uh, now you might get some weather in Carolina, but you might get rain anywhere. But you're less likely to get it in that division than anywhere else. Yeah, better to play there than, say, Chicago or Green Bay. Even or though you Kansas. get two dome games on the road per year there, too, now. Yeah, a lot of home games where you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to Chicago in the wintertime? Uh, it's not. It's worse than Pittsburgh in the wintertime yeah. sometimes. Have you been to Buffalo? Have you been to New yes. England? Yeah. Yes, I have. Hard but, yes know, on those two, and don't need to do it too often again. You know, I, I love Chicago. I don't want to be anywhere near it in the wintertime. I think the coldest – I went to the Big Ten tournament in Chicago, and that was in early March, and it was brutal. Yeah, brutal. I went to – I actually went to the inaugural Big Ten tournament, and I got lucky. I got decent weather there. Um, but, yeah, it, that, that stuff comes into play, and uh, some people will – write him off because of it. Some people will overlook it and say, you know, I'm going to trust the tape more than a silly measurement, but uh, not where Kenny Pickett wanted to be, Tim. Meanwhile, Malik Willis, your guy, six feet, Cordell Stewart, six foot, one and a half, 220 pounds for Malik Willis, Cordell, 212, hand size, nine and a half for Willis, nine and a half for Cordell. 40-yard dash, four and a half for Willis, four and a half point two or 4.52 for Cordell. The vertical, 37 for Willis, 36 for Cordell. So the, the comparisons are there beyond just Steeler fans saying there's comparisons. Oh, no question. Uh, I, hope, I hope he knows where the safeties line up. Uh, <laughs> That's the biggest deal. 
haven't seen him throw a ton. Um, Cordell, I think, had a good arm. I don't remember him uh, having uh, a cannon. I think I think Willis can really bring it. Um, I always thought Cordell, uh, if he'd have played wide receiver, I think he might have been a Hall of Famer. Uh, he you said he was that, that good as a wide receiver? I did. And, you know, he was tremendous with the ball under his arm. Uh, if, if you look back, uh, you know, he could make people miss. He could run away from people. He was physical. Had I saw nine and a half inch hands to catch the ball. Uh, it's funny you bring that up because he made a catch, Tim, in that Super Bowl year when he was slash and uh, Neil O'Donnell was taking him to Arizona to lose to the Cowboys. He made a catch in the Bengals game. I'd have to go back and look this up. Uh, it was at Cincinnati. I think it was about a 75-yard TD pass. And I swear to God, he caught he caught the last third of the ball with his first knuckle, you know, on each finger. You know, there's the two stripes. Yeah, on. yeah. I mean, he just snatched it out of the air. It was the thing of beauty. As I remember him at quarterback, I can't get past. He played in two AFC championship games, 1997 and uh, 2001. And in each of those, he threw three interceptions and lost a fumble, and the Steelers lost the game. If you're a big-time quarterback, you can't turn it over eight times in two AFC title games. That's how you don't get to the Super Bowl. But he had skills, man. He had he had mad abilities. Um, I think he was a little miscast, and I think that was mostly on him wanting to be a QB instead of maybe uh, play a position he was more suited to play because of the interception problems that he never really got over. And the when, accuracy problems, not even so much yeah. interceptions, but missing guys when they were open too. Yeah, but even that doesn't kill you like the pick does, right? I mean, you just you can't throw six picks in two AFC title games. Can't do it. Mike, if Willis is there and Pickett is there, Willis is your guy, right? No question, because I think he has the highest upside. I would even be tempted if he's there at 15. I think the Eagles have three picks somewhere in that range, like 14, 15, and 19, or 16, 15, 16, and 19, something like that. I think you can move New Orleans at 18 is a quarterback potential team. I would try to get ahead of the Saints if Willis gets down around 10 or 11 as the round proceeds. Um, I don't think it would cost them an arm and a leg. It's not like they would exhaust their uh, draft capital and they wouldn't be able to address their other needs, which clearly they have other needs. But he intrigues me because of the upside. And also, uh, you know, I don't think he's plug-and-play NFL ready, but I think if you brought in another veteran guy or he ended up with Mason Rudolph, you know, one of those, you know, lesser perceived quarterbacks, uh, think of what this guy could do in a third-and-one package, in a goal-line package, in a short yardage package, or to throw him in just to change the tempo of a game. Uh, he's breathtaking with the ball under his arm. And I'm ready to watch a guy who, when he gets the ball in his hand, I go, you know, and I'm on the edge of my seat, and I'm yeah. not sure what's going to happen next. My 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 heart is in my throat. Uh, you know, the, the potential excitement is just compelling. That's fun to watch, isn't it? I mean, I don't need it to be overcoached. Play action boot, and let's see what he does next. Well, you know what? I mean, your heart might be in your throat anyway, even if uh, Mason Rudolph is just sitting there and throwing because – No, my head is going to be in my hands. <laughs> I'm going to be going, oh, God, not this again. So let me give you a hypothetical. So Willis is off the board. For whatever reason, uh, one of these teams that we think likes Pickett more changes their mind and they take Willis. If it's Pickett versus your pick of either offensive or defensive lineman, where are you going? D-line. One of the Georgia guys? Yeah. I, I mean, if the quarterbacks go early, then chances are pretty good. One of those Georgia D-line are going to be available around 20, right? Yeah. And I might, 
I might even nudge myself up depending on how they're reading the room. Um, the, the, the big guy, I, I get him confused. I don't have, uh, my thing Jordan in front Davis. of me, but the Jordan Davis and Devonte Wyatt Davis is the bigger one, right? He's more of the run stopper. Yeah. Yeah. That solve your run defense problem. If you do that on round one, it's a great draft. And I don't want to hear, Oh, he plays two thirds of the downs. I mean, TJ Watt only plays 85% of the time. If this guy plays 66% of the time, typical game, there's 60 something snaps. We're talking about 15 plays difference. Well, I, what they showed us with Hargrave, Mike, was they're not looking necessarily for, and even with how they've used Alu Alu, they're not looking for Casey Hampton anymore. They're looking for a guy who's the nose on first down and then can be either Tuit or Hayward on second and third and fourth down. Yeah, except this kid's tilting the scales at about 360 pounds and he might need to play first and second down and then catch his breath. Uh, he does play sideline to sideline. He can get some push up the middle. He's certainly not, you know, he's, he's not going to pile up sacks right and left, but he makes all the plays. He's a great tackler. Uh, yeah, that would be a bonus if, if he could help him in the, in the sub package and play inside. Sure, that's that's just the cherry on top of the Sunday. But uh, the run defense thing was really bad last year. I'm not counting on Tuit coming back and doing anything. And I'm not counting on Alouel. If he comes back, there's, you know, now we got two cherries on top of the Sunday, but he's hitting his mid thirties. He's coming off a year where he missed almost the entirety of the season. They need to shore that up. I think that's the kind of guy you pick him and say, okay, check that fix the run defense box. What's next for the people who say about Jordan Davis, he's only going to play two thirds of the snaps. Well, my response is so did Casey Hampton, and we keep talking about how much he's missed. Yes. So obviously I, it's it's important. So get somebody who's like that and Tim, nobody know. runs in the NFL anymore unless they figure out they can run it down your throat. Then they run it down your throat. So maybe just by his presence, he's the nuclear deterrent, right? He's the button. Oh, you guys want to run the ball? We'll push this button. Maybe he doesn't play that much, but if they don't give up 179.3 rushing yards a game or whatever they were hemorrhaging last year. I think that's a good thing, don't you? Yeah, if they weren't baited into having, I take that back, if the opponents weren't baited into wanting to run as much as they did because the Steelers' run defense was so bad, yeah. we might be singing a different story. So it's kind of funny to me, Mike, when we go through all this analysis, it's a year where the Steelers can be by all means justified in taking a quarterback with their first-round pick for the first time in 18 years, and they are by certainly all means justified in taking an offensive tackle for the first time since 1996. And we're already saying, unless it's the one quarterback, go defensive line again, and then you're, I think you're pushing off the quarterback until next year, and you're pushing the offensive tackle until at least the second round. Right, but I think you can do that. You know, Daniel Jeremiah came up uh... – with a great stat, he did a uh, teleconference last week, and he talked about charting the most recent five Super Bowl champions. And if I'm remembering this correctly, those five teams, you know, the teams that won the last five Super Bowls had a combined three first-round offensive linemen that they drafted themselves and, and were playing for them. Uh, you can go get them other places. We've seen in Pittsburgh, you can you can find free agents who are really good for you, uh, either the veteran type or the college type guys that are kicking around. You know, they got great play for a long time out of Alville and Nueva. 
Uh, they got great play out of Marquise Pouncey. I mean, you can do it a number of ways. And I think particularly with the depth at tackle in this draft and I'm, you know, is, is the core four gone for sure? Do we know that? Are they going to bring him back? Or is that what you're looking at? Uh, maybe you re-sign him and you go get a guard in round three and, and that's your uh, addition to the offensive line. And then you hope that uh, more uh, benefits from all his experience and snaps that he got to play. And Kendrick Green does the same. And Dotson comes back healthier. And you do re-sign a core for it. And you got the makings of a, a decent offensive line. Jeremiah's point was you don't need – I remember this quote exactly. You don't need five Tony Baselli's. You just can't play tomato cans. The Steelers actually at times have proven that. You know, like, for instance, that line that the, got so much attention and credit when Roethlisberger first got here had Kedrick Vincent and Oliver Ross on it. You know, that line that had all the run blocking and was able to allow the plays to be limited for Roethlisberger to jump in and play as a rookie. Yeah, they had three studs from Hardings, Fanica, and Marvell, first round, first round, first round. But then Ken, Kendall Simmons got hurt, and they went with Ross and Kedrick Vincent off the scrap heap. And that was good enough. Yeah. They got to Kedrick Vincent, by the way, one of the great quotes in the history of Steelers. Football. Yes, I remember. They're getting ready to play what turned out to be Roethlisberger's first NFL start down in Miami. And they're getting ready to fly down to Miami for the game. And there's a hurricane fast approaching Miami. And uh, our, our friend and colleague, Jerry DePaulo of the Trib, asked Kedrick Vincent, are you worried about flying into the hurricane? And Kedrick looked at Jerry and said, I am the MF in hurricane. <laughs> I was right there for it, and I'll never forget it. All that confidence from an undrafted guard. Yeah. One of my, one of my uh, top, I'll say top three. And if you look at the offensive lines that won Super Bowls or won a Super Bowl for the Steelers, got to another one, there's a lot of Trey Essex and scrap heap Flozell Adams and Chris K. Moyatu and Justin Hartwig and Darnell Stapleton and, you know, Willie Cologne. Uh, Max Starks was like the anchor of those lines aside from Fanica talent-wise. Uh, and that's largely because, at least the way I view it, Roethlisberger was able to make up for it. So if you don't have a great offensive line, there are ways for Malik Willis to make up for it. And this is the argument that I've made the whole time when people say it's worthless to try to get a Derek Carr or a Russell Wilson or a um, Aaron Rodgers because the offensive line is no good. They will make up for the offensive line. And frankly, Russell Wilson's been playing behind a bad offensive line for five years. Aaron Rodgers' offensive line was built nicely. Then it fell apart, and he was still the MVP. So I don't buy that at all. I don't, I don't either. You know, that line that uh, beat Arizona in the Super Bowl was not a good offensive line. In fact, it was an awful offensive line. And Ben Roethlisberger worked around it. Now, uh, the way he did it was just being really hard to tackle. He would drop back and hold the ball and shed guys and get out on the wing, you know, buying time to continue to throw. The way guys are doing it now is they get out on the wing and they run. If there's yards there, they take them. And uh, I think that's what Malik Willis can do. Hey, I kind of like uh, – I find something to like about all these quarterbacks that are available this year, Pickett included. Now, you wish they were taller. You wish uh, most of them were put together a little bit better. But uh, I think uh, the Chiefs' offensive line looks better than it is because of what Patrick Mahomes can do. And that would be the same if you had a guy like Willis. The reason I like him above the rest of them is I think he's got the better upside 
than all of them because he's a way better runner. You know, Sam Howell's a pretty good runner. Kenny Pickett's pretty mobile. Matt Corral's he'll go up the middle against an SEC defense and put his shoulder down at the goal line and try to run through guys. Admirable traits, but Willis is put together better, and I think he has a stronger arm than anyone. And I keep going back to the, the old line that uh, Chuck Noll gave Bill Nunn back when all of this was getting started, uh, you know, in the late 60s and early 70s when they were finally – had enough of losing for 40 seasons or whatever it was. Chuck Knoll said to Bill Nunn, go find me athletes. We'll teach them how to play football. You've talked yourself into Malik Willis largely in that regard. What about Mitch Trubisky if they decide not to draft a quarterback and go with a free agent instead? I'm going to steal a line from a league of their own. Can't they do both? They could. Can't they sign Mitch Trubisky and then draft Malik Willis? They could. I just don't think that solves anything. I just think you're throwing numbers at the problem and that's not fixing anything. Well, I think Trubisky's a real good option for a year or two. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he's any good. I, I'm, I don't hate him. I, I like him better than a lot of alternatives. Cause I think he's got some uh, athletic ability. He's got some movement skills. And really, if you look at his numbers, you know, the bears haven't really had their uh, stuff together. Uh, or didn't really have their stuff together during his tenure. He wasn't awful. They had bigger problems than him. Uh, I like him as a stopgap bridge guy, whatever you want to call it. And again, you can work the kid in. And then as the kid develops, uh, maybe it's sooner, maybe it's uh, it takes relatively longer, but uh, by the end of year two, he's probably in there established and uh, playing ball for you. What and I hate the, about this in the is- meantime, I think you're more competitive. I, what I hate about this is it feels to me like 1985 where it's, one week it's Mark Malone, one week it's David Woodley, one week it's Scott Campbell. You know, maybe it's Kent Graham, maybe it's Cordell, uh, maybe it's Jim Miller. You know, I, you don't have confidence in any one guy. You feel like Just there's always Jimmy Miller. You always feel like there's a better option. <laughs> I get it. I know. Yes, yeah. clearly, Mike. They would have. They would have gone all the way to the Super Bowl in '96 if they didn't pull him after one, one quarter. <laughs> uh, it was about two and a half. But that's, that's sort of what I'm speaking to, is that if you bring in Mitch Trubisky, then there's no reason to con yourself into thinking you're starting Mason Rudolph. Because as soon as Mason Rudolph becomes Mason Rudolph, you're going to Mitch Trubisky. And as soon as you put in Mitch Trubisky, then Mitch Trubisky becomes Mitch Trubisky, you're going to Dwayne Haskins. And if they have all three of those guys, I guarantee you they each start about four or five games before they get sick of one of them and go to another one. And then, you know, can't go back to Rudolph, got to go to Haskins this time, and then what's that going to look like? Well-founded fear. That's why those guys aren't on my team if I get Trubisky and Willis. And then, what, you just keep Josh Dobbs as a third and you get rid of those two and get sixth-rounders or seventh-rounders or whatever? Fine. Bailey Zappi. They'll want want a veteran of some repute, um, if that's the case, to be the third. Yeah, I I think, you know, we have a different opinion of Trubisky. And uh, I'll be curious to see what kind of interest he attracts and and what kind of money's thrrown at him. Buffalo, That's the other uh, thing. Like, I just I don't see if you're going to go to a bridge guy, like you said, or a bridge year. We're going to apply the pirate terminology for frig's sake to the Pittsburgh Steelers. If there's going to be a bridge year, then let it be a bridge and build some other parts of the bridge. You know, if if you're going with Mitch Trubisky, in my mind, you might as well go with Mason Rudolph and then reevaluate after next season and figure out if there's a free agent that you want to sign that's good a guy you want to trade for or a guy you want to draft and use every dollar and every resource to make the rest of the team better for that guy. Well, that's where we'll agree to disagree. Cause I, I think Trubisky is way more established than Rudolph. 
I, I don't think those guys are comparable. I think Trubisky's better. Yes, I think that's what I'll give him. He's better. Is he good yeah. enough to do anything but seven or eight wins with this team in its current state? I don't think so. Yeah, well, that state's going to change. I mean, they got some money to spend in free agency. You got a draft coming up, and, and we'll see if, um, you know, another another wild card that uh, we'll see how much they're counting on some of these guys based on their actions in free agency in the draft. But what if Devin Bush uh, rises up? What if Chase Claypool rises up? Uh, they got some guys on this team that uh, they thought were going to give them a whole lot more than they got last year. And uh, that's part of getting better, too. Is two at staying or not? Uh, I got no idea. I mean, Kevin Colbert said that uh, he was asked, has Tuit expressed interest in playing? And Colbert said, absolutely. But then he went back to the, well, we still got to wait and see. We're going to keep the door open. I haven't heard anybody from the organization say, A, he's healthy, B, he can play. And it's about time to answer those questions, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be by March 14th. Very much because it isn't if already. If your first option besides quarterback is defensive line, what if Tyson Alualu is back from his broken ankle and Stephon Tuitt is going to play? Because I know you got to start rebuilding the defensive line. I know you got to get good, young, high profile, talented youth in there. But with every other hole that exists right now, you can do that next year. You know, like that, then get the first round tackle then on the other side of the ball. Uh, Get a cornerback. You're missing a lot in the secondary. I don't know what of that group is going to stay, but if you're losing Hayden, Witherspoon, and Edmonds, maybe then the first choice is something in the secondary. These are all valid points, but if I'm uh, king of the Steelers, uh, if they, and by the way, I've interviewed to replace Kevin Colbert. That's been kept relatively under the, so you're under 14 the, under the rug, but uh, I go into this, off season, looking ahead to next season with two major priorities. I don't want Mason Rudolph to be the quarterback. And I don't want people to run the ball down my throat the way they did last year. And everything else is behind. I know I have other concerns, but mm. they are not as prominent as those two. And it's in that order, by the way. I want to win money on college basketball, and I want <laughs> to win money on the Penguins hockey season. So that's what we'll talk about when we come back. By the way, the Steelers holding fast at uh, 500 to 1 plus 5,000 to win the Super Bowl next year. So you're saying there's a chance. Well, right there with those Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk hockey and college hoops when we come back here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back on the Pittsburgh CityCast, Mike Pursuta, Tim Benz. Mike, let's get into it. The tease that couldn't lose that lost. Uh, you talked me into it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm fortunate that I couldn't get to the college basketball games to add on to what I had already done or else I would have lost right there with you. I lost on the hockey tease as it was. I see Carolina playing the Red Wings. I see the Ottawa Senators against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm teasing that. 
I'm taking those two teams. There's a parlay right there. Boom. I feel good about it. And what happens? Overtime loss for the Hurricanes against the Detroit Red Wings. So that cost me. That pinch hurt. You had that parlayed. Let's see if I got this, if I remember this right. Youngstown State and Robert Morris. Yep. Nebraska and Ohio State. Yep. And then the coup de gras was IUPUI and their 2-26 and 26 record or whatever it is with five available players. Five guys. Not the... Not, not five scholarship guys. Five We're not guys. going for cheeseburgers. We're going to play basketball. Against Oakland, who is what, very, second or third? A very good Horizon League level program. Could win the conference tournament and be in the NCAA tournament potentially. Yeah. Now, the spread was 23. I still somehow thought that was the riskiest bet on the board. And There was five, a hook, too. Oh, yeah? 23 and a half? Yeah. And didn't the five guys playing for cheeseburgers end up only losing by 11 or something like that? Yeah, the five guys playing for cheeseburgers hung in there. So that blew uh, the tease, but it was already blown were, anyway. because young blown. St- Nebraska went into the Ohio State University. And won. Nebraska is so bad. The only reason they're not the Cornhuskers aren't firing their coaches, the buyout's too big. They don't want to spend all the money it would take to get rid of Fred Holberg or whatever his name is. A lot of that they going on a, Pitt. They beat Ohio State at Ohio State, and Robert Morris won a friggin' Horizon League tournament game. I can't believe that. I, I I saw five of those, and I loved it, and four of them went bad. And yeah. you are the king of, Mike, when you get a tease, and all five hit, you say, I should be paid five times. Or you are the king of, if you've, you bet a team to win by a touchdown, they win by 14, you're the first person to say, I should get my money doubled. If somebody hits the overall by themselves in a game, like, yes. you know. Kansas City, 65, Seattle, three. But, yeah, if you lose four out of five, you, that, that should cost you more than your initial investment. <laughs> that, that was awful. That might have been the worst bet I had all se- No, the worst bet I had all season was Kansas City, Cincinnati in the playoffs. Yeah, that one really Just was for the, killer. Just for the enormity of it. But, uh, yeah, that was bad, and it looked so good, didn't it? It looked so tantalizing. And I feel bad about kind of – baiting you into it because i was the one that said hey look at this hockey tease we got to go with this and then you just tried to add in that because it was going to pay what four to one right almost just a a shade under it it looked really easy it looked like a layup tim it looked like uh uh, i don't know what uh it looked like it was a winner and it didn't come close no It, it was it was blown out of the water repeatedly and to sort of, uh, I don't know, underscore what we're going through from a gambling perspective on the heels of this is to suggest how hard the Final Four or the NCAA tournament is going to be. It's going to be incredibly difficult to weave our way through the college basketball tournament this year because that, that day where seven top, what was it, 10 teams or top 15 teams all lost, to me is an example of how things could go in the first and second round of the tournament. That day was Saturday, and for the first time in history, they call it the uh, Associated Press Top 25 era. I believe that goes back to 1947-48 or 1948-49. For the first time since then, not only did the top 16, the top six teams lose, all lose, but seven of the top 10 got beat on the same day. Which is I, I got, unbelievable. I got no answer for that. I'm 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 watching from here on out till conference tournament time. And let's get uh some people in some neutral venues and uh see if we can get some things figured out before the big dance. Cause wow. Just you know, 
NCAA basketball is fantastic, and you know the tournament's known for upsets and all that. But this season's been unbelievable that way. You think we'll get Kentucky here in Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh Regional? Cal and his whole roots and all that, especially if they put Shashevsky out in Chicago, like they're talking about doing. Wow, Shashevsky going to leave the state of North Carolina? Is there no regional in uh, Greensboro or uh, no? I thought any I saw, of those other fine cities. There is a the closest one for his campus would be Philadelphia, I think. Wow, UC Duke doesn't have to go across the damn street. Yeah, that's usually the case. But there was a lot of chatter I saw that they're going to want to put him in Chicago because he's from Chicago, and I feel if that's the case. Well, then, damn it, we should get Kentucky. I, I'm leaning towards Kentucky. Kentucky is the team that's speaking to me the most, but I'm not sold on it. And I'll take a good, long, hard look at how things look in the SEC tournament, but just about anything can change my mind at this point, Mike. One thing is, hey, hey, well, we're talking college basketball. Got to give it up to the Duquesne Dukes, right? I mean, it only took three overtimes. <laughs> But they got a cover. It was seven and a half against George Washington last night. Seven and a half was the line, and they covered it against GW, and it only took three overtimes for them to get there. But, I mean, seriously, what a kick in the gonads for the Dukes. After, if you think about, think about this. You lose 14 games in a row, and then you're on the precipice of getting one, and you go three overtimes, and you still lose. I mean, how brutal is that? That's... One and fifteen in the A ten, and they won the first one. Exactly. And most of the games, they don't break sixty. Like they got, was it 90, 90 points? Ninety three points last night. They had broken sixty in conference play three times, and they get to ninety three and lose in triple overtime. But I, I, I want to double back to Kentucky for a minute because let's uh, say, for the sake of argument, that Cal wins it all again. What happens when it gets uh, vacated? Uh, do we have to give the money back? Uh, I don't I think th- it works that way. I was thinking about that uh, based on what happened with the Kentucky Derby. I couldn't remember who I had, but I know I didn't have the winner. Uh, I don't think I had the one that, that became the uh, you know further reviewed champion nag. But uh, well, let me ask you, know, you this: How much money did you lose betting against Michigan during the five Fab Five era? Did you get any of that money back? Nah, it wasn't. Uh, they never won the big one, so they were okay. Um, Syracuse, the, the Carmelo years, the one of my demon teams that uh, they got to lose sometime. They got to lose consistently cost me. Yeah, that, uh, it's a dangerous road to go down sometimes. Yeah, especially when you're playing teams that are like one seeds. You know, they they played against some one seeds there that they knocked off, and there was plenty of opportunity to people for people to think, well, you know what. They're not good enough to beat this team, but with Carmelo there, they were. You know, one thing that came across my Twitter feed, Mike. You know, I think uh, I did that is because I actually went to see them play at the Jack Breslin Student Event Center on the campus of uh, Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan, and Syracuse won the game in overtime. And I remember that really pissed me off. <laughs> so you're just angry at him and bet against him out of spite the whole year? It might have been a factor. Um this came across my Twitter feed and was simply a post. And I know you're going to hate this because I know you hated the Big East tournament, but it was a post simply of the bracket of the 1996 Big East tournament. And I, that was my senior year of college. That's when Syracuse went to the final four with John Wallace, but they were the third best team fourth, fourth best team in the Big East that year. Cause that was the season with Ray Allen and Allen Iverson in the final, like epic 75, 74 game uh, where Allen made the winner. Kerry Kittles and Villanova were number one that year with two other NBA players on the team and Jason Lawson and Alvin Williams who played for quite a few years in the league. 
Boston College was ranked all year with Donya Abrams and Scooney Penn. Like, I can remember the rosters of all these teams now in 2022. I can't tell you the rosters of, like, Kansas and Kentucky and Michigan State and all these teams that it's so unknown. The commodity is so unknown in college basketball. I don't feel like I know what I'm betting on. And it, it scares me. It spooks me a little bit. Yeah, I, I didn't hate the Big East tournament. Matter of fact, I enjoyed it. I covered several of them, and I like New York City as much as anybody else. Yeah, but it drove your tracks or it drove your attention away from the Big Ten tournament, and that was well, the problem. What pissed me off about it is there were some certain people, uh, not all of them were local, but uh, a few of them were, who loved to insist that the Big East is the best conference in that country, and this is the best tournament in the country. And I hate these arbitrary designations that people come up with. This guy's the best hockey player in the world or, uh, you know, really why prove that to me? Like ACC, I've never been to the ACC tournament. I imagine it's pretty damn good. I have been to the big 10 tournament. I saw an Indiana Purdue semifinal Bob Knight against Gene Cady in a sold out United center where half of the 20,000 there were black and gold and the other half were red and white and it was electric and it was incredible. And it's one of my memorable sporting events that I covered ever. And I didn't have a dog in the fight, but it was Purdue, Indiana on the hardwood. And those guys were coached. I mean, can't stuff just be great? Why does everything have to be the best ever? Speaking the- of Purdue, Michigan State beating Purdue. I watched that game. By the way, the, the final 15 seconds lasted an hour and a half. That was agonizing. Um, the fact that Michigan State beat Purdue and Purdue looked the way it did in the process. What do you think about Purdue now? Did that change your mind at all? Yeah, I still think Purdue is a really good team, but Purdue doesn't defend. And I don't think uh, it's going to figure out how to defend uh, between now and uh, early April. So I would start riding Purdue in the tournament until it gets a matchup against the team that uh, is really good defensively and uh, figure that, uh, you know, that might be your live underdog. If you you find somebody that can hold the score down and normally they don't score a lot, but they're going to score more than they usually do because Purdue can't defend and then go that way. I like Illinois a lot too. And, uh, uh, that's been up and down. Uh, Michigan's got a lot of talent and a lot of, uh, potential, but, uh, Michigan's going to get lucky to get in the way things are going. Uh, it's nuts out there, man. It's crazy. Penguins. Let's get to some hockey before we wrap up. They've got the lightning tonight. Then they got the Carolina hurricanes after that. And this is the start of a seven-game stretch where every opponent that they'll face the rest of the way is currently in the playoffs for this seven-game streak. Uh, They'll get Carolina a couple times, in fact. Got some good teams out of the West. Tampa Bay right now atop the Atlantic. Uh, The Maple Leafs lost last night. Uh, That was another loser that I had circled. Maple Leafs lost. So uh, they stay in first place. Looking at some of the numbers for the Maple Leafs, excuse me, for the Lightning, they're not as good on special teams as I would expect, but they are good five-on-five, and uh, they're really good at shot suppression five-on-five. So volume scoring for the Penguins five-on-five is not going to be there, uh, I don't think, tonight. And Vasilevsky, you know, it's interesting. I I don't know if it's sort of like one of these things where occasionally, like, you look at Tom Brady and some of his numbers are middle of the pack, but you know he's still the best. Like, Vasilevsky... He's tied for the league leading wins. He's like seventh in save percentage and ninth in goals against. 
But the only guy that I've seen play goal better this year, especially after the first couple weeks, is Shesterkin. Shesterkin's been fantastic. If they play the Rangers at any point, Mike, I'm not sure anybody's going to score in that series. And you lead me to where I was going to go, which is uh, the Penguins are looking at these games as a challenge, right? They know who they're playing, that the, the degree of difficulty has been ratcheted up, and they're playing better hockey teams, some of the best hockey teams in many instances. And if the Penguins are going to maximize their game, it's not going to be because Ron Hextall makes a phone call and suddenly gets uh, a second-line winger that can score 35 goals for Kasperi Kapanen. It's going to be because they tighten up and play better defensively and are more on their details, right? Better play away from the puck. Uh, under game against the Rangers, under game against Columbus, and I think that train might continue to roll down the track if the Penguins have it together and they're locking in and dialing in and, and focusing and treating these games as the challenges that they maintain they are. Under six, minus 103. Uh, right now is where it's paying out tonight. The Pens to win plus 148. If you want the goal and a half, it's going to cost you 165. You're going under? Yeah, I think I'm going to ride that for a while and see how that works out because I think uh, uh, playoff-type games, tighter checking games, um, you know, Penguins usually get some pretty good goaltending, particularly when uh, Jari's in the net. And uh, we'll see. Uh, if, you, if, you, if they're going to lock in and kind of get their game consistent, I think they're going to be winning three to two way more often than they're going to be winning seven, five. I've been saying this for a while and got in on a little earlier hurricanes plus 800 to win the championship, to win the Stanley cup. There's more value there uh, than there is for Tampa and Florida plus 750 in the avalanche right now, plus 450. I don't know all this favorite talk about the avalanche. Are they going to make a move at goalie or not? And is that move at goalie going to improve them or make them worse? What'd you say? Tampa was again, plus 750. Boy, I kind of like that one. Yeah, they're right there with the Panthers. Those two are plus 750 behind Colorado. Yeah, I like that a lot. I I, th I think they're the team to beat. And uh, as is the case with a lot of defending champs, or in this case, a two-time defending champ, the regular season is uh, often not viewed as uh, the critical exercise that people in the end zone of the upper bowl view it to be. Another thing, Mike, you know, we talked about this with baseball quite a bit. Put your money where the loser is. Are they still Tampa playing Bay, that? T Tampa Bay's done a lot of what the Steelers, have, excuse me, the Penguins have done, which is beat the lesser teams. And then if you split with the other really good teams or get the loser point here and there, so be it. Like, yeah. uh, you know, Chris Adamski, the trip, came up with whatever the chart was. I, I don't have it in front of me, but he got the splits down pretty good about what the Penguins have done against the sub-500 teams versus what they're doing against teams that are currently in the playoff bracket. And it's astronomically different. But, I mean, if you, you know, this was the National League West theory that we kept coming back to in baseball that made us money during the summer. It's not even look so much for the good teams. It's look for the bad teams to exploit. And then when it's a 50-50 yes. game, maybe stay away because, you know, those 50-50 games, it's tough to see what the records are really all about. The NHL has become a little bit more split in that context this year. Yeah, I think great points all. And uh, I like it. Uh, you got, of course, you can't really do that in the playoffs, but um, – the Penguins played a whole lot more of those games too against teams that aren't that great. Right. Uh, their their post All Star break schedule is really remarkably different or significantly different, I should say. So let's see how they do here. Uh, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I don't, you know, it was funny. Uh, we both went to that Carolina game uh, last Sunday, uh, a couple Sundays ago, right? Yeah. Uh, 
And the Penguins came out of that saying, oh, well, we kept fighting and, you know, we closed the gap and we had it down the, got it down to one goal and we had the goalie pulled and we almost scored. Carolina could have just as easily said, yeah, well, we played with five defensemen for the vast majority of the game because the guy got hurt and we played with our backup goalie and we still won. That's what Brendan Moore is basically saying at the post game. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's an eye of the beholder sometimes, but uh, Penguins. Uh, I don't think they just have to show us something here in the next couple of weeks. They got to show their GM something, see which, see which direction he heads. Uh, I skipped over without giving the futures for college basketball. Gonzaga plus 350, the favorite. Kentucky plus 700 is next. Uh, where was like, oh, Duke, we mentioned they're at plus 1,200. Purdue is at plus 1,000. Sparty Mike at plus 7,500. So yeah, it might be a- 50 to 1. That might be a bridge too far. <laughs> what What did you say? Get back to the hockey. You said um, Tampa was plus seven fifty, and the Hurricanes were plus eight hundred. Yeah. So if you go on the theory that the West sucks and Colorado's inflated because of that, and it's not going to win the cup, pick the Canes or the Lightning. If you put two hundred on both, you'd be you'd be guaranteed to win almost two hundred dollars if you put two hundred on the Lightning and the Canes right now. Unless sounds good to me. Unless one of them doesn't win the cup, then you lose twice. <laughs> then it's then we're, then we're back to our parlay. Hey, that was so bad. You got you got triple triple. But you know what, Mike? Pal. I feel a lot better betting on Andre Vasilevsky than I do the fifth guy for IUPUI. So I don't think that's going to burn me twice. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast. We'll be back Let's next go, week. Oakland. That's who we're betting on. That's going to be our mutual bet is bet on Oakland, bet on the Grizzlies in the Horizon Tournament. We're all about the Grizzlies. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.